3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders, past and present, of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, It is the 8th of March uh, on International Women's Day this morning. You're joined in the studio by me, Genevieve. I've got Carnegie and in the other studio, Evie and Fung. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. morning. (laughs) How is everyone this morning? I'm really excited for not only our show this morning, but just a full day of amazing broadcasting here on 3CR. I'm so excited as well. It's like really come together in such an amazing way. I'm also really excited for the street party later today. Yeah, Chucky Siki. Hope my boss isn't hearing this. (laughs) 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 But yeah, it's going to be such a great day. Um, I was just saying to Fung before that it's so wonderful to have um, what we're, you know, what we're doing and what we're going to be listening to at 3CR today as a balm compared to a lot of um, the more corporate kind Mm. of stuff that's happening for International Women's Day. I think 3CR kind of pays tribute to the origins of what it means to have International Women's Day or International Working Women's Day. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, And I also just wanted to mention, you know, I, I think it was an article written a few weeks ago that kind of marked the end of this girl boss era, um, which should be well and truly ended because uh, it does nothing <laughs> towards <laughs> helping any, I guess, anyone out of um, this capitalist struggle for power um, and the era of the girl union. That's right. <laughs> the era of the girl union. So, um, yeah, throw away your girl boss, even though I feel like everyone uses it quite ironically um oh yeah girl boss gaslight yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's over <laughs> that's right um all right well since we've got such a busy show i think we should just launch into what's coming up this morning um first up i had the pleasure of talking to uh artist maker and mother sol fernandez uh about her uh, artistry her work um, about uh, one of the collectives she's the artistic director for of Way Over There Collective and also just everything in between. So looking forward to people hearing that conversation. Afterwards, we're going to be speaking with Caitlin McGrain, who we've had on the show before. Caitlin is a PhD candidate looking into women's attitudes towards smartphones. Uh, She also works at Gender Equity Victoria and is also a presenter with 3CR Monday Breakfast. So it will be great to have a chat with her. Yeah, definitely. And then I'm so excited for this interview. I'm speaking to uh, absolute icon uh, Matisse Leder, who's an actor, model and podcast host based here in Nam. for anyone that doesn't know Matisse, uh, I don't know where you have been the last <laughs> few months. She's been absolutely dominating uh, and 
spreading all things creative and queer uh, through all of her pursuits that we'll be talking about uh, community, queerness and uh, all of her projects. I spent like an hour looking at her TikTok last night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can do that. <laughs> And then um, we'll be speaking with Emma Valente, who is one of the founders of um, feminist theatre, The Rabble, um, about their new show, which is called Yes. And then finally, we'll be speaking with Anam Javed, who is one of the founders of Sister Hub, which is a NAM-based grassroots initiative uh, created to support Muslim women um, with their health and well-being in ways that are gender and faith relevant. Um, so it will be so great to have Anam close our show for International Women's Day today. Yes, so exciting. Um, and since, you know, considering we've got five guests on, I think we might launch straight into uh, news just uh, for this morning. Does someone want to chat to us about uh, Russian feminists protesting the war going on right now? Um, yeah, so basically um, in Russia, as we've seen, I'm sure, on various forms of non-mainstream social media, um, it's the people of Russia are not for the war for the, for the most part. Um, and feminists in Russia have actually united and come together and written a manifesto against the occupation and the war in Ukraine um, you know, feminism has been one of the few opposition movements in Russia that has continued to gain traction over the years. And, you know, we've seen time and time again that women are speaking up against all kinds of um, things going on in Russia um, and against Putin's government. And this is, again, a really great example of how that kind of organizing and um, women coming together has is creating you know real change that we can see around the world so it's an absolute epic manifesto that we will link in our show notes um later today and would highly recommend everyone give it a read yeah that sounds great um and i think you know a lot of people don't realize that people are protesting in russia absolutely yeah i've seen even um news anchors walk off the show um in protest and people in the streets so definitely it's not the people of russia necessarily that want this war yeah um in other news we've got uh some prominent women launching a social media campaign calling for government reforms yeah so um this is uh ahead of international women's day grace tame Brittany higgins um were part of the safety respect equity alliance releasing demands aimed at gender equity um now this has been uh, met with a little bit of controversy because, uh, as you can see f- from the picture, if you've seen it, uh, it is predominantly very obviously, you know, cis white women. Um, this is, you know, it's people are, you know, trying to sort of be constructive about the criticism here. The problem also with this campaign is that it doesn't, it's not a brand new thing. It is, it's kind of overlapping with things that already exist in terms of policy demands, it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. And, like, there's nothing really inclusive about, like, you know, a bunch of, like, 
visibly girl power, sort of dressed in power suits, claiming feminism as their own exclusive club. Um, Nina Funnell, who is a journalist and um, spearheaded the campaign called Let Us Speak, um, which aimed to help um, survivors of abuse and um, sexual assault um, uh, talk about their experiences with their own name, which you often can't do under the legal system. Um, her campaign actually highlighted about 15 different um, people uh, of varying sort of uh, races, sexuality, um, abilities. And uh, last night she um, basically described how it was quite unfortunate that her campaign was basically erased in favouring the one um, cis-abled white woman um, and picking her as Australian of the Year. That was Grace Tame. Uh, obviously, it's not Grace's fault. You know, she it's not like that she sought to be picked out specifically, but it, it sort of draws attention to who we consider first in victim narratives, um, which is quite troubling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Like, it seems like we have the same thing, you know, every six months where it's sort of like an outgroup inviting us in, even though, you know, we all face the same struggles. Yeah. Um, It's been really interesting, the conversation around this, because, you know, there's definitely been prominent women of colour, Indigenous women, Aboriginal women, who've who've spoken out, um, not necessarily, as you said, against Grace or um, Brittany Higgins or anybody in particular. It's more just calling attention to this... um, very important fact you know there's um former liberal staffer dani amani who spoke up as well and was not given this kind of platform um and i think she's from a south asian background and you know yeah there's been a few different uh women over the years who haven't got this kind of reception and it is worth noting yeah Mm -hmm. um i just wanted to highlight a couple of events that are happening today at 12.45 p.m. today, uh, VALS, the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Centre, is holding uh, an amazing webinar um, called Addressing Coercive Control Without Criminalisation, Unlocking Victorian Justice. And there will be a recorded message from Professor Chelsea Wadigo. The, and then there will also be a panel discussion featuring Nayuka Gori, Dr. Amanda Porter and Dr. Crystal McKinnon. Um, it's happening online from 12.45 to 2pm. If you would like to register, you can go to vals.org.au um, to find the event, but it looks like it's going to be an amazing discussion. So talking about how um, we can better respond to coercive control without criminalisation. And then lastly, um, Evie mentioned this before, um, but there is going to be a 3CR International Women's Day street party that's happening from 4 to 8pm just outside the 3CR studios here in Collingwood um, featuring Ajak Kwai, um, we've got also Leila Latinx, we've also got DJ Marushti and much more. Um, it's a COVID safe event and will be broadcast live. So if you can't make it, please make sure you tune to, uh, to 855 AM or you can stream online at 3cr.org.au. Great. All right. We're going to go to a quick announcement and we'll be right back after this. 
Join 3CR for a day of special programming in celebration of International Women's Day on Tuesday, the 8th of March. With a stellar lineup featuring 24 hours of international current affairs, music, arts, activism, culture, and much, much more. This is a unique broadcast that you won't hear anywhere else. We'll bring you the usual celebration of non conforming feminism. No leadership breakfast here. Just 24 hours of grassroots radical discussions by women and gender non conforming presenters, producers, and musicians dismantling the patriarchy, taking collective action, and imagining the future of feminism. This year's celebrations include a street party in the lane alongside 3CR from 4pm to 8pm in Little Victoria Street. There'll be music, performers, food and friends. Can't make it? You can also listen live. This is a COVID-safe event. So join 3CR in celebrating the amazing women and gender non-conforming people in your community from midnight Monday the 7th of March until midnight on Tuesday the 8th of March. For full details, head to the website 3cr.org.au slash IWD2022. You're on Tuesday breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, you're tuning into our International Women's Day special. The time is 7.30 a.m. And uh, joining us on the show uh, is Sol Fernandez, who is a South Asian multidisciplinary storyteller, maker and mother based in Southeast Nam. Her work explores the liminal spaces within her culture and the fluidity of age, relationships, and sexuality. Sol is also the artistic director of Way Over There Collective, which is a collective of local artists, community developers, and programmers. And she's on the show to speak about what inspires her work, how she navigates the art world in Nam, and some of her upcoming exhibitions. Thank you so much for joining us, Sol. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Genevieve. It's really nice to be yeah, and um, yeah, hello to everyone listening. Yeah, no, an absolute pleasure. I'm a huge fan of your work, um, so oh, I feel a bit <laughs> feel a bit starstruck. Um, but I just wanted to start off just in general from the beginning. How did you become mm-hmm. interested in art, and how did you know when you wanted to be an artist? That's a big question. I mean. I think recently um, I, on my resume I'd been forced to kind of reflect on how long I have been practicing art and um, I have had at least five uh, professional years in the field and it's interesting because that time has gone so fast but before that you know since I was a young person and a, and a child really um, I was always interested in art making and creating things and yeah I was a very creative person so I feel like it was just a part of my personality and um my hobbies from a very young age that yeah just kind of stayed passionate about and pushed on and really became passionate about other people being able to access it too um yeah and and therefore I've been doing all the roles I've been doing in the field and it's been great yeah for sure and maybe so our audience I know this is all audio so it might be a little bit difficult to grasp kind of the visual aspect of your art but um just to give us I guess, a rough rough indication. Is there, you know, a medium that you enjoy working with the most 
um, or is there a format that you like to express yourself in the most? And um, if you could explain that, that would be great. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am predominantly a painter um, and have been a painter um, from the very beginning throughout my whole creative kind of career. Um, but I also am, have been really interested in, in um, storytelling via writing in the last few years, um, especially yeah, starting off with poetry and then, um, you know, kind of changing to narrative and um, now have been dabbling in a bit of um, like script writing or like kind of um, outlining vignettes for short, you know, maybe art films or, yeah, both storytelling and painting. I think are my main ones and um, yeah the overarching theme through throughout those two mediums is probably about documenting um, and preserving those are my two main themes I think um, yeah and I guess visually we're very I, I make uh, works with my daughter she's two um, and her name's Blue and yeah we paint together so we have exhibitions together and um, all of our paintings and our artworks are done mostly together they're very colourful and a bit chaotic and, you know, they, they merge her style and mine together and, and, and they're special and they mark time. So, yeah. For sure. I love that and I definitely want to ask more deeply about that um, a little bit later in the conversation. Um, just touching on uh, themes, you mentioned, you know, that documenting and storytelling were kind of overarching themes. Do do different themes inspire certain bodies of work or is it predominantly, um, you know, those themes provide, I guess, the foundation to most of your work? I guess you kind of uh, touched on it a little bit with, you know, the creative process is very fluid and morphs into different areas. And so I guess it's kind of hard to pinpoint. Yeah, I think the overarching theme um, above anything else is really just, um, you know, documenting and preserving, I guess, moments and um, parts of life in that sense. And the theme would always be ever-changing because we could be doing a drawing on a day where, you know, both of us are really happy and we're having the best time ever. And then, um, you know, and then the next time the theme would not be the same because of the moods we're feeling, maybe Blue was tired or maybe I was just over it and it was kind of giving Blue something to do. It's like um, each piece and, and yeah, within each piece, it's, there's lots of different stories being told from specific times in our lives. Um, but, yeah, if we're going to try and, like, calculate it like that, I would say that the theme is always changing within the one work and within our practice all the time. For sure, yeah. And I do love that overarching theme of, documentation though because I think a lot of art does tend to get lost in a specific theme or like an almost like an agenda that I don't know more more conceptual than actually like being like this is actually just a documentation of how I'm feeling or what I'm trying to tell or stuff like that so I I have to ask just because you just touched on it then obviously your daughter blue is a frequent collaborator with your work how do you find this process of collaborating with blue and do you think blue has taught you things about art that you didn't really think about before yeah definitely um yeah working with blue is so amazing um it's really fun she's very intuitive so she just kind of 
does her own thing and allows me to follow. And we we talk a lot. We ask a lot of questions to each other. We talk about what we're what we're doing and what the mood of the artwork is. So we speak about what what Blue's drawing, and you know, sometimes she's like using a texture and bashing it and going crazy and telling me what she's doing, and then she's telling me what to do as well. And then other times, you know, she's very calm and she she doesn't mind what I do. So we're very fluid like that. I think it just always depends on what the mood is in the household. But, um, yeah, we, we there's usually a lot of talking and a lot of communicating. Yeah, and Blue has definitely taught me a lot about art making. I think um, there's definitely some wisdom that comes with being a bit naive or um, being – uh, yeah, new to something and having a fresh set of eyes. I think Blue has that and it reminds me to just kind of let go and, and try and relinquish control a little bit and, yeah, just enjoy it for what it is. That's definitely something Blue's taught me about living in the moment. Yeah, definitely. I love that idea of relinquishing control. You know, I think as you become an adult, you become more stringent in how you do stuff and I think children can really open you up to sacrificing yourself to just, yeah, losing a bit of that control, which is what I really love and what what really, I guess, pervades itself in your work as well. I wanted to touch on your, uh, uh, well, you're the artistic director of Way Over There Collective. Um, chat to us about how this began and I guess what it aims to do for the art community. Yeah, cool. Um Thank you. So, yeah, in 2020, um, me and a group of other people, um, four or five of us, were looped into an email chain with uh, someone who was connected to all of us, a mutual um, kind of colleague. And, yeah, and they just introduced us to everyone. They were a member of local, like a a worker of the local council and um, they just didn't eat intro and we all really got along and we caught up on Zoom. Um, and yeah, after a few catch-ups of just like ranting about our experiences being creative, um, people from uh, ethnic back- backgrounds, being black and brown people, um, yeah, we decided oh, we sh- we were all working on our own sort of projects individually with this colleague who worked at council, and we decided to just um, join together and and program events and produce events together as a collective so um yeah in 2020 we started and we did online programming and um came up with safe spaces so that's one of our main programs that we want to um, continue to to do forever because it, it provides safe spaces for local um oh sorry we're also local to southeast Nam, so um, in southeast melbourne and um yeah, and we just want to prioritise our community and local multi- um, people from multicultural backgrounds as well from around um, Nam. Yeah, we did Safe Spaces Online and then we came together initially in person and it was great. We did lots of events for the community centres. We did art club um, for all different types of age groups. We've done, yeah, lots of different programs together and it's been great. And now giving being able to give paid opportunities to local artists as well through some grants we've been given and some programs have started up in 2021. Yeah. yeah, that's really special. And I think like carving out something for that community as well. And people are very receptive to that. It seems like and it, it looks like you're doing an incredible job. 
with this collective and some of the initiatives you run that look incredible. Um, but, you know, you talked about how this spurred out of uh, your experience being a creative in NAM. And I guess I just wanted to ask, you know, how have you found navigating the art world uh, in NAM in recent years? You know, there's obviously been lots of discussion on, you know, gender and racial diversity. But I guess what's your opinion on, you know, are we progressing uh, or do you find some of it a little bit performative and is there still more work to do? Um, Yeah, so I actually had my first show last year in 2021. Um, So I haven't really been showing my works in these spaces for too long, pre-existing spaces. You know, um, I've applied for many, many shows in my life and had lots of ideas and, you know, really pitched them and um, applied for as many things as I could and, and never, ever got the opportunity to show um, any works. I was in some group shows just through the, like, sort of word of mouth of friends, but I'd never had my own kind of exhibition. And, yeah, my first one last year went really well and I was like, wow, this is, I could have, like, but I did think, you know, I, I could have been doing this for such a long time if I'd just got the space and then, yeah. So we started also making space, creating spaces where we could have group exhibitions and solo shows for people as well through the collective. So when I move into spaces where I can get other people opportunities, I definitely will try and do that. Yeah, but definitely there needs to be work um, being done constantly on making spaces and gallery spaces and show, um, spaces where people can show their work more accessible. And just, I guess, to finish us off, you have some incredible projects and exhibitions showing and also coming up. Uh, Would you be able to talk to us about um, what you're working on and I guess what's coming up for the future? So my next um, big show and opening um, actually opens on Monday um, and it's it's called I Miss You Already and it's showing at Gallery 17. Um, it's a, an exhibition that is put together by me and my daughter. All of the works are collaborative, um, most of them actually, and um, it's a mixture of paintings, drawings um, and poems. And, yeah, um, it's it's a show about nostalgia and missing moments and parts of yourself and other people that you won't, you won't get to experience again or you won't get back. Um, but, you know, enjoying the parts that you can remember and what you have experienced yeah last week another exhibition that me my daughter and um, my best friend Jess um, put put on called um, eat a peach it it opened last Monday and there'll be a screening at the end of the month for a film that we made together called tea for three which will also be playing at my opening next Friday 7 p.m at gallery 17 for I miss you already Awesome. And we can link to all of those shows in our uh, website. And I just want to say congratulations. You put on some incredible exhibitions recently and also with the collective, such a great initiative, especially uh, for your community. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sol. Thank you so much for having me. It was great chatting with you. That was multidisciplinary storyteller, maker and mother Sol Fernandez talking to us about her work, art direction and community. 
Just to reiterate, she currently has a show on at Hayshard Studio in the old cheese factory titled Eat a Peach and a show that actually just opened yesterday at Gallery 17 titled I Miss You Already. And you can also check out Soul's work on her Instagram. <laughs> Sorry, we've just had a bit of a uh, a crash in the studio, but it's all good. Um, you can check out Soul's work on her Instagram at Mama Soul. And on her website, soulfernandez.squarespace.com, and we will link to all of those in the website. Next up, we're going to play one of my all-time favorite feminist anthems by um, Melbourne punk band Camp Corp, who we play on the show often. Um, This is their song, The Opener, which is from their 2016 debut album and is about how women feel in the music industry constantly being sidelined for male musicians and it is super cathartic and gives you like this sense of like extreme rage
That was Camp Cope with their incredible song, The Opener. Here on 3CR, we've talked extensively about our digital rights and online safety. And joining us today for our International Women's Day special is Caitlin McGrain, who is a PhD candidate looking into women's attitudes towards smartphones and their tracking capabilities. Caitlin also works at Gender Equity Victoria and is a presenter here on 3CR uh, on Monday Breakfast. Caitlin here is here to talk to us about technology and women's safety. Safety. Welcome to 3CR. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It's so nice to speak with you again. Um, I think we spoke to you sometime last year about your work with um, Gender Equity Victoria. Um, I was just wondering if you could give us maybe an update um, as to any of the current campaigns or, or research that you're looking into at the moment. Of course. So I think when I last spoke to you, I was just about to start doing some work with um, in, in like a politics. So we were looking at, in part of the work we've done at GenVic is looking at the online harassment of people who are in positions of authority or power, and particularly women. But when I was looking into um, people in politics, what I found was that rather than just being targeted at women politicians, there's an awful lot of gendered harassment that gets directed at anybody who's in a position of power. So even people who are maybe male politicians or who um, yeah, don't identify as women will get uh, targeted with harassment that is gendered. And it is gendered in this way that's trying to belittle them, maybe compare them to women, um, and it's it's really about sort of policing and trying to control who gets to be in a position of authority and what that and what somebody does when what that looks like I suppose so what it, what it, what does it look like to be a politician to be somebody who's in a position of power and anybody who deviates from that script is then sort of belittled humiliated punished so that's kind of where we're at with that piece of research and that'll be coming out probably in the next month or so. Um, and that's that's been my main focus, really, for the past few months. Wow, that sounds really interesting. I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. So the type of harassment that um, that these people in in power uh, in, in positions of authority are are getting is 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 gendered harassment. Is that am yeah. I correct in saying that? Yeah. So I would say rather than being because we started this project looking at women in politics. Right. And as we went through the research process, and I spoke to lots of women who work in politics, lots of female staffers, women who work for politicians, and even if it's someone who's a male politician, they might have female staffers who are looking through all of their correspondence, who are viewing all of this rhetoric all all day, um, every day. And so what I wanted to do was really account for that labour in the way that we were approaching this research so that it wasn't just about women in positions of power, it was also about women in any position within an organisation who has to deal with either targeted harassment targeted towards them or by reading harassment that is kind of about them because it's about women but it isn't necessarily targeted towards a woman. Does that yes. make sense? Yes, it does. And it... And- 
it's quite terrifying then to to realize that you know if you think about all of our male politicians in state federal governments underneath that layer you've got all these women um and maybe gender non-conforming people who are working in other positions like you said having to face all of this gendered hate and harassment every single day and i feel like that it's that really makes it a lot more widespread yeah uh, uh, there's something like i was just thinking about um a friend of mine is a female entertainer um and she mentioned to me um and some other people that often she has to pretend um when she's communicating to like booking rooms and that sort of thing that she has a male personal assistant um to communicate because the kind of responses that she gets when she communicates as herself versus a male assistant is so wildly different um even like um you know correspondence to her email address on her website uh can be so gendered um both in like obviously abusive and just like really patronizing less abusive ways um mm. compared to like say if they knew a male assistant was uh, replying to it so she has like this totally made up male assistant that replies uh instead but yeah it's just so shocking that like how vast that gulf is of like you know the the way in which people respond that's it and i think that i mean that your friend's story is really exactly what we were trying to get at with the with the research is that it's not necessarily that people are getting lots of death threats all the time or threats of violence, which, which definitely that is happening. But it's also there's this underlying patronisation and sort of subtle contempt for women in positions mm-hmm. of power or women in positions of authority or anybody who might be in any way not conforming to a really masculine stereotype about what a leader looks like and what a leader does. So we really wanted to account for those um, kinds of rhetoric and we wanted to account for the toll that that takes to be told day in, day out that, you know, you don't know what you're doing and you don't know um, enough to be in that position, which isn't necessarily like abuse, but Mm. it is. It is intimidating and it is harassing mm. and it does reduce the um, the feeling of confidence that people can have. And, I mean, I don't want to get too much into confidence because we know that's a really, like, sort of uh, neoliberal idea about feminism. But there is, a, you know, people who are trying to do any job need to have a degree of um a degree of confidence in being able to carry that out so that they can feel emotionally equipped to show up to work every day. Yeah, definitely. And I remember um, doing an interview last year about about gendered hate in the workplace and how um, people have the right to not only show up and, and do their work, but also to thrive without that threat of of harassment or, or intimidation. Um, Caitlin, we could talk to you about this for hours and we've only got a couple more minutes. So I did just want to touch briefly on your PhD research, mm-hmm. looking at women's attitudes towards their smartphones. Um, I know Evie had um, 
something that you yeah she yeah. wanted to ask you about that yeah so I, I was really interested in your research um about like you know smartphones and their tracking capabilities and that sort of thing you know digital rights and privacy is something mm. that's a big interest of mine um does your research touch on things like you know apps that you know women or female identifying people use specifically like I was thinking a lot about period tracking apps for example mm-hmm. um, I use the app clue which um, mm-hmm. you know trumpets itself as uh, proudly independent and will always keep your data safe and that sort of thing but like it, it's such a it's impossible to trust these kind of things anymore like you know all these sort of small apps getting bought out by Google or Facebook or what have you so you know like how does that affect women's trust in using you know smartphones and their kind of what the, where their data is going? That is such a good question. I had a few people who talked about period tracking apps in particular, and I think a lot of those apps are they have the best of intentions, and sometimes they um, they do sell data. And I think I have someone who said that she didn't really care. There was a lot of people who sort of said, yes, I know it's a problem, but there was only one or two people who said, I'm not going to st- I'm going to stop using this app because I'm worried about it selling my data. There were quite a few people who were like, yeah, it might sell, you know, these apps, maybe not period tracking, but some other kind of, um, some other kind of maybe self-tracking or another kind of app where they didn't really, they sort of thought that, these corporations are going to get your data one way or another. So there was this sort of um, maybe a bit of resignation to the system in which they were a part through just using a smartphone. So just having a smartphone and using it puts you in this system. And I think what I'm trying to get at with my research and with the conclusions that I'm coming to is that really we need to take the onus off individuals. So individuals, this is too big a responsibility for individuals to be trying to control every single bit of their data and who is in control of it and who has access to it. This needs to be something that is, and this is something that we're seeing coming through from the um, Australian Consumer and Competition Commission. I might have got that the wrong way around. (laughs) Um, The digital platforms inquiry and the recommendations that they've made about how corporations need to be regulated and the the ways that privacy and data collection and data security need to be regulated because putting it in the hands of individuals, like I don't know how many apps, I have so many apps on my phone and I, I don't feel like I have the mental capacity to control every single piece of information and also I think that we if we atomize it that way if we make it about all about individuals then we really let corporations and capitalism off the hook for what is essentially a system that has been created around a um, around a what I think Susanna Zuboff calls like a surplus you know, we've made it into a commodity. Data is now a commodity. And we need to think about it as um, as about people 
maybe not individuals necessarily, but about it's about people, it's about us. Yeah, uh, and about yeah, I think about communities as well. I think like mm. when you when you put the onus on the individual, it can be quite isolating because it's like it's my responsibility, your responsibility. We're, but we're not talking to each other about. Hang on, let's look the other way and look at the the big corporations and companies, like you mm. said, who are getting away scot free um, with with data mining and and selling us things that we don't need and and all the rest of it. Um, this is such an incredible early important conversation, Caitlin. Fortunately, we're running out of time today. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us again. I think we'd love to have you on another time if, if, <laughs> if you'd like to be on again, because there's always so much that we can talk about, especially as um, women and queer people that, um, yeah, smartphones and technology can be quite, it can be really empowering and also quite dangerous in many ways. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. So that was Caitlin McGrain um, from Gender Equity Victoria speaking to us about um, not only gendered hate uh, across the platforms directed at women in power, but also looking at smartphone usage. Um, we're going to jump straight into a track now. This is Girly Bits by Ali Bada, who is an Australian pop rock um, singer-songwriter. The song is about male double standards and the often ridiculously high expectations that women have to contend with.
That was Gully Bits by Alibado. All right. Up next, we have a very special guest joining us. Uh, it's a NAM-based queer POC icon, Matisse Slater. Matisse is an actor, model and podcast host, uh, and they have embarked on many projects that centers their community, including the podcast Braided, her queer POC collaborative food channel, We Eaten Good Bitch, many a fashion runway and featured in documentaries, including Purr, directed by John T. Knight and featured on Pedestrian TV. Matisse is on the show to discuss her experience being a creative in NAM, why community and queerness is so important in the context of International Women's Day and what projects she has coming up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Matisse. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Such a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I'm, well, all of us are a huge fan um, of all your socials. So uh, this is very exciting for us. Um oh. Thank you so much. Oh, no worries. Um, I just wanted to start off, you know, obviously as a, uh, you're a queer person growing up in Nam, and, you know, you've helped pave the way for your community to be heard and represented. And I wanted to dwell on this idea of community, you know, what does it mean for you and how has it helped you today? Yeah, community for me, and I've spoken about it so much as well, um, it's one of the most important aspects of my life for me community is it's safety and support and love and my community has allowed me to be myself in like every form that I've been in um and it's not only love and support but it's also like holding you accountable and allowing allowing you to make mistakes and grow and learn and not expect you to be perfect I feel like it's important for community to both hold you and keep you in check. Definitely. It definitely feels like a, a chosen family. Yeah, definitely. Especially, like, obviously queer people. Like, you choose your family. For sure, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, your experience being a creative here in Nam. Has it been a difficult road to get to where you are today? yes it's been difficult and eye-opening but also extremely fulfilling it took me a really long time to figure out and decide that this is what I wanted to do um I felt there were a lot of things blocking my path and I had to really work with what I had in order to actually do it um things like imposter syndrome and education and accessibility and racism and not believing in myself like all of these things that I had to really take in and really think like is this something that I want to put myself through instead of the regular nine to five mm-hmm. um and then you know you just start to do it in your own emails at eleven thirty p.m anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's been I, I'm, I feel very blessed. Um, I always wanted to be creative, but to actually choose that, um, I think it's a big risk for everyone, and especially for people of colour, queer people, to choose to go down this path. Um, it's hard, but uh, for me, it's worth it. 
Yeah, definitely. And congratulations on all your endeavors. You're absolutely killing it right now. Oh, so gassy. Thank you. This is what this show is all about. Um, I also wanted to chat to you. Uh, I know you've spoken about queerness and many of your creative paths. You know, what does queerness mean for you and what have you found in embracing your queerness and centering it in your work? Queerness, um, it means, queerness means to me, uh, like fluidity, I think. It's not being tied to a label. Um, for me, it's allowing myself to go with like the ebb and flow of how I'm feeling. Um, I do center it. Yes. And I do it because I think it's important to center it sometimes. Um, I think it's important for queer people to center it because if we don't, who will? And the answer to that question for me is straight people that are trying to do it for a diversity check. We don't know a thing about being queer. Um, and in, in embracing my queerness, I've been, like even now, like currently going through my own kind of like gender journey and figuring out like who I really want to be and how I really want to present to the world and what makes me feel the most comfortable yeah. and my community kind of allowing myself, my community allowing me to really figure that out and like bounce my ideas off them and like support me in that way. Um, that's like cleanest is just like doing whatever you want. You never, you don't have to listen to anyone. Just do it. Just do yeah. it. And if it feels good in the moment, do it more. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you touched on it just briefly just then, you know, obviously it is International Women's Day today Mm. and, you know, it is unfortunately another day that can be hijacked by, you know, white cis women in corporate and industry settings. Um, Mm. but you know, with so much conversation around inclusivity, diversity and representation, especially in recent years, uh, I guess we're seeing a slight shift, but I wanted to ask about, you know, your view on this. Uh, do you think we are finally progressing into a more diverse future or does it feel a little bit performative to you and is there still a lot more work to be done to encompass uh, what it truly means to be inclusive and representative always work babe work never (laughs) stops exactly (laughs) um i think it's going to take a lot more for the diversity to be authentic i think both i think I, i i do see the shift obviously i'm like being in the industry that i'm in seeing like my community represent, represented more, but I also do think that it's more than giving uh, people of color, women of color, gender diverse people, a seat at the table and a voice. It's giving them the table mm-hmm. and shutting up and listening, and you know, don't just put them in front of the camera for your diversity shot. You know, give them the camera and let them tell their story. Um, I think diversity, yeah. I, I don't think it's ever going to be, I don't think we're ever going to be the, like the people that are listened to the most. Unfortunately, society isn't built for us. It is built for white people, white women, cisgendered people. So it's, uh, we just have to really do what we can. And I hope that, on days like this, you know, like women, cis women, 
white women. Mm-hmm. Try not to center yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think I said it like last week or something. Like really think of what it's like to live in a world that isn't made for you. Yeah. On a day like this as well, that's meant to celebrate us all. Yeah. Yeah. I think Trans that... women, sex workers, they're, <laughs> they're the people that like really need a voice the most. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, definitely. I think the idea of, mm. you know, just like shutting up and passing the mic, <laughs> um, exactly. even just for one day. And um, I think you really hit the nail on the head with, you know, giving people like that, you know, the whole table, not just the visual representation yeah. or the photo opportunity. Um, <clears throat> and I have to ask, you know, we're actually all huge fans here uh, on Tuesday <laughs> Break Eve. For anyone that knows anything about Nam, surely has heard of your food channel, We Eatin' Good Bitch. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, how did this idea come about and, you know, what has it taught you about food and community? Um, first of all, thank you so much. <laughs> I still, it's still a trip hearing that. Um, uh, we Eatin' Good, it was a lockdown project. Um, with an old friend of mine, it was just a, like a cooking page. It wasn't even called We Eating Good at that point. Um, but we were, we were just cooking. We'd go on live on Instagram and just be really silly and like make tacos and things. And Invisible the Drum, who I actually work closely now with the offline projects of We Eating Good, um, asked us to kind of do like a little live cook for an end-of-year Zoom party that they had. We were in the middle of a pandemic, so <laughs> we yeah. had to do what we had to do. And um, I made some tacos. He was a little bit tipsy, and I had this idea, like, this food platform is so fun. I'm having such a good time with it. And I had a bunch of my queer friends over. We were all eating, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice for queer people of color specifically to have a platform to share their knowledge around food, around culture, and to celebrate that. I just thought that that was beautiful. Yeah. And then, I don't know, it's just like snowballed into this amazing thing that I love and adore so much. Um, And it's taught me, it's taught me that I already knew, but food really is that universal language. And like... I just, like, really love queer people of color. <laughs> I really yeah. love queer people of color, and I love watching them cook, and I love seeing them laugh and smile when they make something that makes them feel good or something from home or something that their grandparents taught them or their parents taught them. Like, it's just, like, seeing that joy is, like, honestly the best thing in the world. Yeah, so special yeah. as well. And so special! Yeah. Um, I'm just wary of time, Matisse. I'm so sorry. We do have to wrap up soon, but just um, as a final closing out, are there any uh, projects you have coming up that you'd like to share uh, with our audience today? Yes. Um, we've got a film and a show coming out through We're Eating Good and an event as well next Thursday at Next Wave in Brunswick called Radical Hospitality if you want to come through that. got a play coming out later this year. Hopefully more things down the line, you know. <laughs> yeah. Busy, busy. What's going on? Always. <laughs> yeah. And we can plug to all of those um, in our show notes at the uh, end of the show. But uh, such a pleasure talking to you, Matisse. Thank you so much for taking the time out this morning to chat to us at Tuesday Brekkie. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. No worries at all. Um 
That was actor, model and podcast host Matisse Leder discussing all things queer, community and creative. And if you'd like to see more of Matisse's amazing projects, you can follow them on Instagram at Your Never Girlfriend. And please, please follow her amazing food channel. We eaten good bitch for all of your food inspo. We'll be right back after this. Get excited for 24 hours of content by and for women identifying and gender non-conforming folk. International Women's Day 2022, right here on 3CR. You're listening to International Women's Day on 3CR 2022. A system based on profits, inequality and oppression cannot deliver a society that works for ordinary people. Capitalism has to go. During this global pandemic, millions of lives have been sacrificed by the let-it-rip strategy, all for the sake of the capitalist economy. The far right is on the offensive, in Parliament and on the streets, and all the while, our planet continues to burn. Now, more than ever, we need revolution. We need socialism. This April, the Marxism 2022 conference will bring together revolutionaries and radicals from across the globe to address the pressing need to fight the right and rebuild the left. Talks, discussions, film screenings and interviews will cover the history of working-class struggle and burning questions for socialists today. Get your ticket to the biggest left-wing conference in Australia at marxismconference.org. We have a world to win. Marxism 2022 is a 3CR supporter. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast. You're on 3CR and this is our International Women's Day special broadcast. Acclaimed feminist theatre makers The Rabble are exploring the complex dynamics of power, consent, knowledge and truth through a new performance work called Yes. Joining us this morning is one of the founders of The Rabble and creators and directors of Yes, Emma Valente. Welcome to the show, Emma. Thanks for having me. Um, so you co-founded The Rabble in 2006 to start sort of creating feminist work that wasn't necessarily being produced in Australia. Can you tell us a bit more about how The Rabble came about? Sure. Um, it was founded with um, Kate Davis, and she and I actually went to university together um, uh, way before 2006. Um, and we actually had another company. Um, where we made about 10 works together, and we call that our, like, baby company. Um, We were just trying lots of different experiments in form. We were performing in 
car parks and art galleries and outdoor spaces. Um, and we were really just working out how to make theatre. Um, and then in um, 2006, we sort of felt like we were ready to graduate. And back then, um, there wasn't the internet. Uh, so no one had really seen our work or even there was no kind of trace of our work. So we just kind of arrived as the rebel in 2006. Um, and it was um, really a, a response to... Um, the theatre climate then, which was very male-dominated, and it was um, also dominated by um, what you would call the well-made play um, or the kind of um, male auteur model. We really were trying to kind of um, break that and um, think about new ways to make theatre and also um, new ways that theatre could um, be and exist and and, um, what theatre could be about. Um, so we were really, it really came from a place of um, frustration, but also excitement that things could be different. And just sitting here now in 2022, you know, there are a lot of things that are, are very different, um, but there are also a lot of things that feel the same. Yeah, I think a lot of um, really good kind of art does actually come from deep frustration at the lack of... Yeah representation and the lack of you know diverse storytelling um and i think with the rabble a lot of the themes that your previous works have explored are very feminist and very based in the female and essentially non-cis male experience um can you tell us a bit about some of the themes that the rabble has previously explored yeah i guess um most of the time we are um, just thinking about, like, what is important to us at the moment. Um, and the, uh, when I say us, I mean Kate and I, but I also mean we have a group of performers that we work with um, pretty much every show. Um, and what what do we want to put out in the world? Um, so we've um, done our, our last show, which was in 2019, um, was called Anne Woman and it looked at um, the kind of politics of birthing and, and pregnancy um, and that was like a really uh, important show for us. We worked with uh, an ensemble of pregnant performers um, as well as uh, professional performers really looking at um, what it means to be pregnant in the world and what are the kind of politics that, that come with that silhouette. And before that, we did a, a version of um, Cain and Abel, which was two sisters um, instead of two brothers. And But kind of in that, we were looking at uh, what are the gender politics of violence and what does it mean for a woman to be the perpetrator of violence, but also what does it mean for a, a woman to be the victim again and again of violence. Um, so there's two examples of, of things that... Um, we really felt were something that themes that we wanted to express something about. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I have I've never seen pregnant women on stage before. So just in and of itself, um, that's incredible. That you know, that's not those are not stories that have necessarily been told historically through theatre. Yeah, that was a really exciting process, and um, the people involved in that ensemble were so excited to even be. Um, have the opportunity to show their bodies in, in public 
um, to, to be on stage sort of representing pregnancy is often shied away from or thought that it should be kept hidden or, or it's expected that um, people who are pregnant will um, sort of just take a rest or something or will stop doing things or stop um, being involved in the public sphere uh, whilst they're pregnant. Yeah. Um, and this is a really exciting opportunity for people who are actually pregnant to be like, no, I'm, I want to be in the public sphere. Uh, I want to. I want people to see how I am at this stage of pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it really disrupts that societal idea of pregnant women are not, you know, like full functioning people for some reason, um, which is great. Um, So your upcoming performance work, Yes, is about our relationship to truth in a post-traumatic world. Can you tell us more about Yes and how it explores the complex dynamics of power, consent, knowledge and truth? Yeah, I think that um, this performance is um, harder to sort of encapsulate in one sentence, um, like the other two I just described. And I think because of what's happened in the last um, couple of years, uh, where everything has become quite fractured, um, and we are sort of responding to this, to the fractured nature of the world and, and how we consume it and how we think about it and... and um, how there's so many things to contend with at the moment. Um, so what we're really looking at is um, the way that the truth is um, constructed and who holds um, power and how knowledge um, can be incredibly powerful and in looking at um, uh, structures like uh, journalism or news, but also the um, medical system and the way doctors might hold um, knowledge and power and how that kind of intersects with consent. Um, and then also just like the, the truth of, of very domestic sort of personal interactions and how we might think about those. Um, and this is really like a, uh, a very swirling, fractured um, piece where it's, um, I think, uncomfortable for the audience to sort of, know where they are. The audience is always guessing what's real and what isn't real. Um, and that's sort of, I don't want to spoil anything, but the, um, that's also part of what the set does as well, is make us ask what's real and what's not real. Yeah, that sounds um, incredibly kind of cathartic in a way where people get, it sounds like you come together to kind of find that meaning, um, both as the audience and the performers. Is that sort of the vibe of the performance? Yes, we hope so. We hope so. We um, we we don't want to um, sort of uh, depress people even more than they are. Um, and and what we're aiming for is a um, a, a communal experience and, and trying to reflect back to people what what we've all been experiencing in our little boxes and our little homes, all separate. Um, and finally, we can you know come to the theatre and, and and be in a group again. And, and be in a community again, and we're hoping just to sort of uh, reflect the, the multitude of experiences people have been having and what um, the different kinds of things people have been contending with. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned before that, you know, it's about kind of questioning who makes meaning and why we're listening to those people, and I think that a lot of uh, the people who do make meaning are men, um, and even when they're not, still it's still rooted in really kind of old patriarchal structures um 
And I feel like a performance like this is not only great because it's communal, but also because it's empowering women and empowering people who don't necessarily have those positions in society to find and create their own meaning. Um, is this something that was important to you when creating Yes? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's um, um, it's come from many different experiences. But I, I might just give one example, which is um, which we we use in the show, uh, which is uh, just going to the doctor, like the simple act of mm-hmm. going to the doctor, um, and how this is a kind of different experience for many people. Um, but in, in that position, um, oftentimes the, the doctor, no matter their gender, but, but you know, they, they kind of represent this institutional power and this institutional knowledge that is very, very, very hard to question and very hard to penetrate just as a kind of general civilian. Um, so when you go to the doctor, you just sort of have to accept what they suggest or what they've decided as the truth. Um, and it's rooted in this kind of power dynamic where they're expected to be right and you're expected to just follow what they say and just trying to even break that dynamic even just a little bit um, can be extremely challenging to people and what happens if you say no at the doctor? Uh, what happens if you say no, I, I, I want to investigate another avenue or no, I don't think I need that test um, or I do think I need a test and can you, can you um, uh, do one for me, um, I think that you're wrong. Um, and this is just like a very, um, an example that that um, probably almost everyone has experienced, um, where we don't even question the kind of, um, Rebecca Solnit has this beautiful um, phrase, which is invisible cathedrals. Like we, when we step into the doctor or the hospital, where we're walking into an invisible cathedral, um, where we don't even question the the structures of power that are that are playing out there, and it's it's very hard to go. Actually, um, I want to shift this structure a bit, or I want to break this structure a bit. Absolutely, I think that's a really great um, way to yeah like explain what that actually feels like um there's a lot of conversations around you know women wanting to advocate for themselves with women's health which is not often taken seriously um with going to the doctor with you know um yeah like explaining the amounts of pain they're in um just as an example of of what you're talking about and yeah that's incredibly difficult when it's within these structures where um, yeah, you have to listen to the doctor. That is, you know, the final word. They're supposed to know what they're talking about. Um, yeah, I think pain is a great example of, of something also that's invisible. Yeah. And it's so hard to communicate um, how real it is to, to someone else. Um, and I, I think that we also want to look at, at, at those kind of things, the things that are invisible um, but are almost impossible to communicate on a kind of um, tangible level to other people. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, it's playing from the 30th of March to the 10th of April at Arts House in North Melbourne. Where can our listeners find out more and buy tickets? Good question. <laughs> um, they can um, definitely go to the Arts House website. Um, and uh, search for Yes, I think we're on the front page there and buy tickets that way or they can um, 
go to our website, which is www.therabble.com.au Incredible. We will um, link to the Arts House website, the Rabble website, in our show notes later today. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this morning. Emma, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about the Rabble and about Yes. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. So that was Emma Valente from uh, the Rabble and... We will definitely link to more information about Yes in our show notes later today. We bring you transgender, transracial, transborder class war against a sexist, racist, homophobic, capitalist system. Our inspiration comes from the actions of feminists who have helped self-identified women reach revolutionary consciousness. At 3CR, our feminism is revolutionary. International Women's Day 2022. International Women's Day 2022. 24 hours of inclusive feminist content. Right here on 3CR Community Radio. Join 3CR for a day of special programming in celebration of International Women's Day on Tuesday the 8th of March. With a stellar lineup featuring 24 hours of international current affairs, music, arts, activism, culture and much, much more. This is a unique broadcast that you won't hear anywhere else. We'll bring you the usual celebration of non-conforming feminism. No leadership breakfast here. Just 24 hours of grassroots radical discussions by women and gender non-conforming presenters, producers and musicians dismantling the patriarchy. Taking collective action and imagining the future of feminism. This year's celebrations include a street party in the lane alongside 3CR from 4pm to 8pm in Little Victoria Street. There'll be music, performers, food and friends. Can't make it? You can also listen live. This is a COVID safe event. So join 3CR in celebrating the amazing women and gender non-conforming people in your community from midnight Monday the 7th of March until midnight on Tuesday the 8th of March. For full details, head to the website 3cr.org.au slash IWD2022. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Sister Hub is a NAM Melbourne-based grassroots initiative created by a group of Muslim women from a diverse cultural and professional background. Their current campaign is aimed at preserving Muslim women's health and well-being during the pandemic in a manner that is faith-based and gender-relevant. Joining us today to tell us more about Sister Hub's work in the community is Anam Javed, who is a learning specialist at the Department of Education, Victoria, and founding member of Sister Hub. Welcome to 3CR, Anam. Thank you so much. 
Anam, could you please tell start by telling us more about Sister Hub and how you came to start this initiative? Yep, absolutely. So Sister Hub was the brainchild of seven Muslim women from very diverse backgrounds in Melbourne. Um, I'm simply one of them. And the reason we started Sister Hub was we were smack bang in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and the vaccination drive had just been ramped up by the government. But we were also finding that um, the availability of information in different languages presented in a manner that was, you know, culturally and uh, religiously relevant and appropriate was lacking. We also found that the needs of Muslim women that are quite unique in terms of, you know, the modesty aspect and, um, you know, the, the need to make sure that they're spiritually on the right track were also uh, needed to be catered to. So that's predominantly why we started Sister Hub to sort of bridge that gap. Um, so working with Muslim women in the community, are there any commonalities with regards to their experiences at medical and health centres? Yes. So when we um, surveyed Muslim women and we heard from WhatsApp groups and, you know, social media forums and uh, we and also speaking to a lot of local doctors, we found that a lot of Muslim women felt quite exposed um, you know, at medical centers where there could be, you know, a male member of staff. It could be quite a large setting where the vaccinations would be happening, where you often have to sort of lift up your sleeve or, you know, um, sort of wear clothing that can allow you to do so. And a lot of Muslim women follow that modest attire edict where they were not comfortable doing that in a public setting or they required sort of a private booth or they at least, you know, needed someone to reassure them that they were taking the right steps for their family. A lot of these Muslim women at the medical centres couldn't understand the information given to them because, uh, you know, they, they could be new migrants, they could be from a refugee background or they could be on the margins of society due to the rampant Islamophobia in Australia, where a lot of practicing visible Muslim women have been isolated due to that um, hatred that they've copped from the media and from the public. Mm. So, so language became an issue, and we heard that a lot of women were not cognizant of why the vaccines were so essential, they were hearing disinformation from um, predominantly from WhatsApp groups, uh, you know, video clips, conspiracy theories. And so they, we, we understood <clears throat> that we really needed to bridge that gap. Yeah, and Sister Hub does such incredible work and it's really come out, uh, you know, during this recent pandemic. Um, would you tell us, you know, what has it been like providing healthcare and support during the COVID-19 pandemic and what has been the response from the community? Um, we, first of all, um, launched uh, a lot of video campaigns because we found that that was the mode that was probably um, having the most traction in the Muslim community, videos, spoken word type content, uh, rather than huge written paragraphs. So we started galvanizing that sort of content and we started couching it in language that is, um, you know, spiritually accessible, convincing, and that sort of answers a lot of 
the pressing questions that Muslim women had. Um, second to that, we started actually working with local councils. So wherever there was a large population of Muslims, so Hume is a great example, uh, we started working with Hume and Darabin councils first off to really identify where can we host these hubs. And we found neighborhood houses to be really great spots because they have, you know, kitchen and toilet facilities. They have lots of rooms and cubicles. Uh, a lot of Muslim women in the area access them anyway for children's activities, women's activities, team building activities. So we found that leveraging existing spaces that were already considered safe and comfortable spaces uh, was important. And that was, um, you know, very quickly taken up by local councils because of that whole statewide drive to get people vaccinated. Um, yeah, it's such great, amazing work. Um, and especially, you know, seeing the campaign that you ran with the vaccinations uh, by Muslim women for Muslim women was um, absolutely incredible. Um, just conscious of time, Anam, uh, we're going to um, just ask a few more questions um, yeah. just before we have to go. But, uh, you know, where can people uh, find out more about Sister Hub and where can people get involved? So we're quite active on Instagram and Facebook if you just look up Sister Hub, but you can also access current information on www.sisterhub.org. Yeah, awesome. And, you know, maybe just a closing question just before we finish up. What sort of future do you envision for Sister Hub and other similar grassroots initiatives? So the feedback we got overwhelmingly was that our work needed to continue uh, within the Muslim community and beyond. And so we've just partnered up with the mosque to run a women's mental health workshop where we talked about, you know, family violence, um, postnatal depression, etc. So we're just going to keep hearing and listening to what the community wants and just keep delivering um, webinars, events as needed. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we can link to all of those links up on our website so people can easily access them. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us today on International Women's Day, Anam. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks, Anam. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Anam Javed from the Sister Hub speaking to us about their grassroots organisation and their focus on supporting Muslim women's health and well-being. All right, we are fastly approaching the end of the show. What a massive show. Such an incredible array of guests on this morning. Um, just to relapse uh, what was discussed um, at the start of the segment, I had the pleasure of talking to Sol Fernandez, who is uh, a multi multidisciplinary storyteller, maker and mother um, about her art. Uh, what's it like being a mother and collaborating with her daughter, Blue, and some upcoming exhibitions? Uh, and then Fung had the pleasure of talking to Caitlin McGrain, who uh, is actually on Monday Breakfast, uh, specifically about uh, technology and women's safety. Uh, and then I had the absolute pleasure of talking to Matisse Leder, who is an actor, model and podcast host, uh, a queer icon here in Nam, uh, talking about, you know, queerness, community and all things creative that she has coming up.
And then I had the pleasure of speaking with Emma Valente, who is a co-founder of feminist theatre makers The Rabble, about their upcoming new work, Yes, um, which is about consent and power and knowledge and truth. And rounding up the end there, uh, you were listening to Anam Javid from Sister Hub uh, talking about a group of Muslim women who created um, a campaign and a collective um, to be able to preserve Muslim women's health and well-being during the pandemic and making it faith-based and gender-relevant. And just to reiterate, obviously it's International Women's Day. 3CR has an incredible 24 hours. It started at 12 this morning. Uh, 24 hours of programming from women and gender diverse broadcasters. Uh, So tune in to hear about, you know, all of the ongoing struggle for gender equality, uh, a cross-section of issues, campaigns and activities, as well as coverage of the International Women's Day rally in the city and music from many genres. And also we, of course, have the uh, from 4 to 8 p.m. Uh, the street party that's happening just outside of the 3CR building. Um, please join if you can get down here physically, but if you can't, uh, we will be broadcasting that live Anyway, um, up next, as always, we have uh, Accent of Women, very special episode for International Women's Day today. And keep it locked for this 24-hour broadcast of International Women's Day. Thank you so much for joining us. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. While you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.